Myron Metcalf, the college basketball season's about to start. There's so much to take in, so much to know. And all of this is right up your alley. So at this point, how many previews have you actually gone through? It's a lot, you know, because you got like the main themes, the big schools, your Dukes and Kentuckys and Kansases, then there's sort of that second tier of teams. But then you also got to know some of the small schools as well. So, I mean, it, it's a lot, but I also love this time of year uh, when college basketball is back. I'm always excited. Yeah, and then, hey, all of a sudden, Rick Pitino and St. John's, and there's a lot of things you got to pay attention to. Just like every year, there's so many reasons to be excited. But what makes this year especially unique? You know, I think it's a year where we don't really know what to expect. I mean, usually there's a team that everybody's kind of chasing, right? And you go, okay, they've got to beat Duke or Kentucky or Houston or something like that. At the top, there's a lot of parity. I think it's one of those years where you look at the top and you're like, okay, nothing would surprise me because I think there are a number of really good teams, but probably not a great team right now. If you didn't know this year would be different, all you had to do was go back to last season's Final Four when half of the teams were from South Florida. Not exactly the college <laughs> basketball hotbed. Uh, I'm not sure what that signal, but I'm curious if there is a single biggest change this season that you think will affect the college basketball landscape. Well, I don't think it happened this season, but I do think you have a bunch of guys who would have tested the NBA waters who are now back to play another year. Uh, I talked to a lot of the Florida Atlantic guys who said, listen, we all could have gone to Power 5 schools and made a bunch of money. Instead, we're staying in our same apartments. We're two miles from the beach. Uh, Elijah Martin told me, listen, I get to send mom on vacations now. You know, they're happy and they're ready to focus on making a run back to the Final Four. So I just think you have situations like that where the NIL money has actually helped guys make the best decisions for their careers and not feel like they have to force their way into the next level. Another college basketball season is upon us, and unlike previous years, the only thing that seems to be certain is the uncertainty. In a year devoid of a dominant team, it's a wide open field as the race to the Final Four starts now. And who we see on the court is fueled by the new player-driven economy where NIL deals and the transfer portal continue to dominate the game. So today, Myron Metcalf joins us to bring some clarity to the new world order in men's college hoops. I'm Israel Gutierrez. It's Wednesday, November 1st. This is ESPN Daily. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely.
Okay, Myron, before we start breaking down conferences, we can't forget about last year, one of the biggest moments. It's a Pablo Torre special when the number one seed, Purdue, fell to number 16, Fairleigh Dickinson. Fans on their feet here in Columbus. The lob, and that will do it. Do you believe it? For just the second time ever, a 16 beats a 1. And then in late May, reigning player of the year, Zach Eady, decided to return to Purdue for his senior season. Are they the team to beat in the Big Ten? I think Purdue is. I mean, Zach Eady returning, he's going to be the guy who has a chance to win another Wooden Award. I think they have a lot of talent, but there is that stench, you know? Like at the end of the day, and I talked to Matt Painter about this, and he said, listen, I didn't even watch the 2023 NCAA tournament. I went home and checked out and tried to put it all behind me. I mean, they had a four-hour bus ride from where they lost to Fairleigh Dickinson in Columbus, Ohio, back to West Lafayette, Indiana. And Matt Painter told me he was just scribbling notes about how bad everything had been and what he was going to do differently for four hours straight. So this is a Purdue team that has the talent to win it all and certainly to win the Big Ten. But they also have to get rid of that ghost from last year's finish. They also have history on their side, don't they? Because just five years ago, a number one seed in Virginia did the falling to the number 16 thing. And then what'd they do next year? They won the whole thing, right? But I talked to Tony Bennett about that, you know? And he said, listen, we did win it. We did a lot to digest that loss to UMBC. But if people remember, in the first round of that year, they're playing Gardner-Webb and they're down by double digits. And Tony Bennett told me he was sitting there on the sideline going, how is this happening again, right? So I think there are going to be those moments for Purdue as well, even when they get into the NCAA tournament. How do you weather those moments where it feels like deja vu all over again? So let's go to the Big 12. Even before they get all the Pac-12 teams next year, how deep are they? Very deep. You know, they're going to be super deep next year. But, you know, you bring in Houston, uh, a team that's averaged more than 29 wins over the last six seasons, I believe. I mean, this has been a second weekend team for the last four years, a national championship contender. Baylor's going to be good again. Uh, and obviously, Kansas adding Hunter Dickinson matters a lot. And, you know, Hunter Dickinson is not shy about telling you how good he is. He told me, listen, we're number one. And I want everyone in the country to know that we're better than them. So there's certainly some attitude uh, with the Jayhawks. Texas is going to be good. They add Max Aismas, who's coming over from Oral Roberts, was the leading scorer in the country a couple of years ago, has averaged more than 20 points per game throughout his entire career. So the, the Big 12 could be a league that sends six, seven, maybe eight teams again to the NCAA tournament. They're that deep. Was Hunter Dickinson the biggest move within the portal this offseason? Yeah, he was. I mean, he, he's definitely the biggest, uh, I think, the guy who changed the landscape more than anything. There have been some big transfers, but for Hunter to go from Michigan, where he was an all-Big Ten player, to Kansas, where now he's the anchor of the number one team in America, uh, that was gigantic. It gives Bill Self a big man that he says he's never had. Think about Bill Self. Hmm. Bill Self coached Joel Embiid. Right. Bill Self has coached all of these incredible big men, and he told me, Hunter Dickinson is the most talented big man offensively that he's ever coached. My guess is Embiid probably didn't want to hear that. Right. But according to Bill Self, that's the case. All right, let's move on to the Big East. They do have some title contenders, but along with St. John's, got some teams that haven't been super relevant for like decades. Uh, a little bit of a throwback vibe. What's going on in the Big East this year? 
you know, I think the Big East is still really, really strong. I mean, you have a Creighton team uh, that's going to have Ryan Kalkbrenner and some other really talented players. You have Marquette bringing back Tyler Kolig uh, and most of the starters from last year's team that won the Big East Championship, Villanova. Justin Moore will be healthy this year. I think that's going to change a lot of things for them. So I do think this is a strong Big East again, a Big East that has at the top a number of title contenders. I think to your point, though, we're going to find out what's uh, happening the rest of the way, right? The St. John's of the world. How good can they be? Uh, they just lost to Pace University, a Division II school, Yikes. in an exhibition. So there are already some people who are going, hey, man, wait a minute. Uh, what's Rick Pitino doing down there? But I think they'll figure it out. You have the defending champ, uh, obviously in Connecticut, that I feel like has kind of been overlooked because of what they lost. But I think Donovan Klingon uh, will be one of the best big men, one of the best players in America when he starts to get uh, a lot of minutes. But it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the Big East. A lot of coaching changes, not just Patino, Ed Cooley going to Georgetown. Can he surprise us and maybe win a couple games there in his first year? We'll find out. Yeah, I guess time will tell if those old school Big East teams can bounce back. But now I want to head down to the SEC, where they haven't had their usual parade of teams making noise in the NCAA tournament. And notably, all roads there used to go through Kentucky, but it seems like since the pandemic season, they've been kind of an afterthought. Is this a make-or-break year for John Calipari and the Wildcats? Yeah, I feel like this is one of those years where I don't see a world where Kentucky fires John Calipari just because I think there's just so much money attached to it and he's still bringing in top talent. What I could see happening is everybody kind of agrees that it's time to move on. Like, this to me feels like that couple that for the last couple years have been telling you, listen, we're going to split up, right? And they're telling all their friends and you're like, okay, whatever, we'll believe it when we see it. I think a lot of people in the Kentucky fan base have felt like John Calipari uh, has disappointed in recent years. 2015 was the last time they went to the Final Four. Obviously, the 2012 National Championship was the last time they cut down the nets. And I think they want more. At Kentucky, that is the team they look to as sort of a professional team and they expect big things. I think if you're Calipari, you're going, listen, it's hard to win at this level and it's hard to win with freshmen. No matter what anyone says, only two teams in the one-and-done era have won national championships with freshmen. 2015 Duke that had Tyus Jones and a number of other talented players who are now in the NBA, and 2012 Kentucky, which had Anthony Davis, a future Hall of Famer. So it's not a common thing, yet John Calipari certainly still has that expectation on his shoulders. Uh, he's got playmakers. And I think Rob Dillingham, to me, is probably... Uh, the X factor in all this, mm. like if you know anything about Rob, if you saw him in high school, he's what we would call uh, a bucket getter, right? Like that dude doesn't see a, a bad shot, but when he's on, uh, he can really light it up. So if they can bring all that together, I think this is going to be a team that has a chance to be very competitive during the regular season and a chance to make a run in the postseason. Okay, so we'll find out if the relationship between John Calipari and the Kentucky fans is a toxic one or if it's just one that will end shortly. But speaking of Blue Bloods, let's talk about a couple that are in North Carolina. Uh, you have North Carolina, the University of North Carolina, who are the first team to be preseason number one and then not make the NCAA tournament. It's got to be a very important bounce back year for Hubert Davis after making the national championship game just a couple of seasons ago. What do the prospects look like for UNC? 
Yeah, I don't know if anyone's ever faced this, right? I mean, in 2022, North Carolina overcomes a rocky season and they end up in the national championship. And like, we forget, they had a double-digit lead on Kansas at halftime and then they lost in the second half. They come in as the number one team in America. They deserve that spot, brought a bunch of people back. They look like their team to beat. And then you don't even make the NCAA tournament. So this feels like, again, I know we keep saying make or break, but if you're Hubert Davis, you've got to be thinking, okay, I know I'm an alum. I know I played here. I know I played for some of the greats, Dean Smith. uh, And obviously he'd been a staff member under Roy Williams. But if he doesn't do something this year, that's not going to be a pretty scene at the end of the year. I think what they have is uh, Elliot Cadeau, uh, who's the freshman that reclassified, 6'1", guard. I think he's a future NBA player. I think he helps them a lot. R.J. Davis returning. You have that veteran experience. It feels to me like Armando Baycott is on his 19th season. You know, (laughs) like it feels like he played with Raymond Felton, right? right? Uh, But he's back for another year. And that is a preseason All-American first-teamer. Yep. But they got to prove it, man, because I think if they struggle this year, anything seems possible for me in terms of what North Carolina might do next. Well, staying in the ACC then, you've got Duke, you've got Kyle Filipowski, who is a contender for the Wooden Award. How serious are their national championship hopes? Which, by the way, they already got great news because Cooper Flag's on the way next year. Can they win one before he ever steps foot on campus? It's like save some players for everybody else, Duke. <laughs> right. And Josh Shire, like, come on, you know? It's not fair what he's been able to do uh, in his first year plus as the head coach. I mean, Kyle Filipowski is really interesting to me. And I, I don't know if people really understand this. So he comes in the last year and he has hip problems, right? And everybody knows he has hip problems. He knows it. He's told, you know what? You probably should get surgery. Take care of this. Kyle Filipowski says, nah, I want to play my freshman year, help my team. I'll figure it out later. So he plays his freshman year on two really bad hips and he wins ACC Rookie of the Year. So now you have a guy who has gone through off-season surgery on both hips. He's feeling healthy. He's three months past the surgery, and he feels great. So I think that's where you start. Tyrese Proctor, I really think this is his breakout year. Here's the thing about Tyrese Proctor. Didn't join the team until like September last year. So he didn't have the off-season to really get acclimated the way other guys did. I think that affected him. And I think now with the full off-season, we're going to see a different Tyrese Proctor this year. But I think they have all the pieces again uh, to make a run and to be a really, really good team. All the pieces to go from two bad hips to hip, hip, hooray? <laughs> that, that, is a, that, definitely, that definitely could happen. If that happens, I'm stealing that too. Uh, that definitely, I'll give you credit, but I'll steal. Nope, do not give me credit. Do not give me credit. I will deny ever using it. Staying in the ACC one more time because the team that represented the ACC in the Final Four last year was the Miami Hurricanes. Curious if this was a one-and-done type of run for them and Coach Laranega, or is this something that can be sustained? You know, it's it's hard to duplicate what you did a year ago. I mean, they were so good. It was just such a fascinating run. But you bring back Nigel Pack. Uh, you bring back uh, some of the talented pieces from that team. I don't think it's the same team. I just think Jim Laranega has been in this spot so many times over the course of his career. Really going back to George Mason, where if you give him a a team that plays together and guys are really on the same page, he always finds a way to excel. So I wouldn't put anything past Jim Laranega considering what we've seen from him the last couple of years. Okay, we can cue the sad music. 
because this will be the last year of the Pac-12. But if it's anything like the college football season where they're in their final season as well and have been an exciting conference, maybe this is going to be a great year for the Pac-12. We already know they have Bronny James at USC, and we'll get more specifically into him in a second. But what does the landscape look like at the Pac-12? Yeah, I think it's football. They're throwing a big party, clearly, right? There are balloons and cake and all that. I feel like at the Pac-12 basketball party, it's got to start a little late, you know, like the food arrives late, the vibe's kind of okay, because there's just not a lot of talent. Uh, Once you get past USC, as you mentioned, Arizona, we'll see if a team like Oregon can do something. But I do think this is a year where people will be looking toward the future more than anything. So I think you can still get a couple of good teams. UCLA, Mick Cronin is sort of rebuilding, but that's what Mick Cronin does. So I think UCLA will find a way to be a postseason team. Arizona will be. I think USC will be. And then it comes down to, okay, do they have another team or two that can kind of surprise the field? But I think the Pac-12 narrative will be, this is it. And we'll talk more about where all those other teams are going next year. Myron, what about teams that we're used to seeing make waves that aren't in the Power Five? Gonzaga, the elephant in the room here. Who do you expect to see in that conversation late in the year? You know, it's going to be interesting, right? Because Gonzaga has not been a team that anyone has doubted in the WCC for the last 20-plus years. Um, I do feel like coming into this season, you have more questions about Mark Few's team than you've had in the past years because there was always sort of that anchor. Drew Timmy, Rui Hachimura. Jalen Suggs. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Chet Holmgren. So without that, um, this feels like one of those years where I think Gonzaga will be good. They'll be a WCC contender and probably champion. But what they do in the postseason, that feels a, a bit more of an unknown. Okay, coming up, what the new economics mean for college basketball. The NFL schedule drops this week, kiddos, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Delicious meat nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot. Taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is not only are wonderful pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, wonderful pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more.
Okay, Myron, we mentioned the Pac-12 and its impending dissolution, but the biggest story in that conference might be a single name. It's Bronny James. We know he suffered a cardiac arrest just several months ago. What's the latest with him? Well, first off, I saw him at, you know, their Midnight Madness event. And that, that just brought a smile to my face just to see him out there. Uh-oh. Number oh. six, Bronny James! Get him. Get him, Bronny. Get him. Get him. Get him. Get him. Like, for me, Bronny being up and, and walking around and hanging with his dad and doing commercials and TikToks and all that— that is such a, a breath of fresh air because I remember when I got the message about what happened. I had just flown to LA a month earlier to do a piece on Bronny. And, and you know, there was so much buzz about him and the impact and the possibility of playing with his dad in the NBA. And then that happened. So it's just great to see him on the road to coming back to USC. According to his dad, he's working to return. He's not in practice yet, but he is working to be a part of this team. So I wouldn't put anything past any member of the James family. And if LeBron says this is what his son intends to do, I, I certainly believe it. But I also believe they won't rush him at, at SC. Assuming everything goes well and Bronny James can come back, he wasn't the only big-time name to sign with USC. They have Isaiah Collier, as you mentioned, the number one recruit in the 2023 class. The goal for them is to not just advance far in the NCAA tournament, have a great college season, but then to eventually enter the NBA draft. That path seems to have been evolving over the years, right? This past NBA draft, you had of the top five picks, one from the NBA G League Ignite, two from Overtime Elite, and of course, you had Victor Wenbanyama from the Metropolitans 92 in France. Martin, what does all this say to you about potential paths to the NBA and how that's changing? Everything is different. I think you can get to the NBA multiple ways. I think that's what you're seeing. We're not just seeing more and more international players. We're seeing more and more international players that are ready to play now. I mean, the system is so impeccable overseas in Europe. I mean, there are developmental leagues in Africa and Asia, South America. So there's so much talent coming from around the world. And then you talk about the G League and overtime elite. I mean, you have young athletes who've just been playing ball. And guess what? When kids go to tennis academies at 15, nobody says a word. When 14-year-old hockey players go play junior hockey and they travel all over the place, nobody says a word. And I think you're seeing that in basketball. Guys are saying, listen, school is cool, but I know my future and I want to work on being a basketball player. So I think you're seeing that development piece as well. But the NIL element, I think, is going to put college basketball in a good place because some of the guys who I think have gone to G League overtime elite, I think they're going to be Duke, Kansas, Kentucky guys with the NIL money that's available. But I love the fact that you can get to the NBA multiple ways. It's only a conversation in basketball because like, there's this weird thing with people where it's like, well, kids got to go to school. Well, let's say that to all young athletes. Like I would believe it if we thought that about young athletes. But if I turn on the Olympics and there's a 16-year-old swimmer chasing a gold medal. Like, let's just put some people in sort of that exceptional category. And it feels like we've done that in other sports, but not as much in basketball. So I think Overtime Elite and the G League have given those young players that path. And that's a really good thing. So there's more paths to the league than ever. A prospect doesn't necessarily have to have an exceptional showing in March Madness to break onto the scene. But speaking of the tournament and the value that it adds, as you wrote on ESPN.com, 
So those dark horse schools that advance deep in the tournament, how does a Cinderella run affect them? And how long does it actually last? That's a really good question. I think it often lasts longer for the school than the team, right? I think things change so rapidly for some of those teams. I mean, A, they're underdogs. It's hard for a lot of those teams to hold on to their coaches. And then now in the transfer portal era, so many of those players have options to go elsewhere. There's the NIL element. So I don't think it's ever been harder than it is right now for those Cinderella's to sustain the momentum. From a school perspective, I think it can last forever. And you've seen that at Butler and what those institutions have become uh, and George Mason. And I think FAU is experiencing that as well. And they're selling out. I mean, they sold out all their tickets, season tickets, and they added massive fees to season tickets. A $100 seat a year ago is now $350. A $1,000 seat a year ago is now $3,000. And they sold out. So I think this moment is incredible for the teams and there's a frenzy. But a decade from now, who benefits the most? Probably the school with the way that the perception of their institution changes as a result of a Final Four run. Yeah, and it used to be the players basically could only benefit from a couple of ways. One being the exposure so pro scouts can see them, but also just winning so that they can get some, I guess, attention because you couldn't quite get money back then. But that's changed. And there's an example like Gonzaga's Drew Timmy, who was, you know, one of these spotlighted players every year. He was in college and then he goes undrafted. He gets picked up by the Bucks, but then gets waived before the season starts And he was a guy that maybe would have left early a few years ago to try to cash in on maybe a a strong sophomore season. I'm curious if you think that's going to be changing, if there's going to be guys just leaning towards staying, if they're even in the slightest bit uncertain about their NBA potential. I I think we're already seeing it. You know, I think Drew Timmy's a good example. You know, I saw a lot of people saying, oh man, this elite college basketball player just got cut. This is how hard it is to make it in the NBA. Yeah, that is right. I mean, it is hard to make the NBA no matter who you are. But let's be clear. Drew Timmy's rich. Okay, (laughs) He went to the NBA rich. He didn't pull up like some of those old school players, you know, in an old beat up used car. I assure you, Drew Timmy had a luxury vehicle and he's doing well for himself because he made millions in college. And I think that is going to be the difference to your point. There is a greater chance to do business for a lot of those guys, make more money than they'd make in the G League or maybe even overseas, and just to stick around. So I just think it'll be a different approach for the guys who come to college and they're not guaranteed first-round picks, but they're really good college basketball players. There is certainly an era, an element, uh, where they can capitalize on that, make a bunch of money, and feel less pressure about having to get to the NBA and excel. So while some, I'd argue many, college coaches were entirely against the idea of NIL and college basketball, does it feel like it might be benefiting the game a little bit in your mind? Oh, oh, it is benefiting. And here's the thing. I talked to a lot of coaches three years ago, and they were all against NIL. And now they're all somehow in favor of it, right? You know, everybody gets paid. It's great, right? Uh, they recognize that this is a part of the game. And you're not going to do well on the, recruit, on the recruiting circuit if you're like, I don't like it if guys get paid. I think what it has done is it's given individuals an opportunity to earn what they're worth. And here's what I've never understood. Why anyone attached to a school would complain. The schools aren't paying these kids. It is 
companies and sponsors and all these other individuals that are paying the kids. Why would you complain if you were in the college sports space? Guys are getting paid and the schools don't have to worry about cutting the check. It feels like a win-win for everybody. But just some of the stories I've heard personally from guys, knowing what they've been able to do for family members, and it's just such a beautiful thing. I think in the past, there were so many guys, to your point earlier, who had to go pro, right? It didn't matter if you're ready or not. You had to turn pro because if you don't, somebody back home might be in trouble. And that's not all the cases. Like I don't want people to think every kid who goes to the NBA is coming from some impoverished situation. But there are certainly those cases. This year in college, you can make money, help anybody you want to help out, help yourself, drive a fancy car, and it's okay. I just think it's such a perfect world, and I don't know why the schools would ever complain when no one's making them pay any of these athletes directly. Right. Okay, Myron, and I know they normally make college basketball people predict an entire Final Four, which gives you more ways to be wrong. (laughs) I'm going to keep it easy. I just want to see if there's anybody you think as an early favorite that you predict is going to take home the title next April in Phoenix. Okay, so here's the thing. Like, it's usually the person who gets right on stuff like this. Mm -hmm. It's usually somebody who, like, hasn't watched college basketball all year, and and then they pick a team. So I don't know if you can trust me or not. I mean, I guess right now I would go with Kansas just because I think Hunter Dickinson is such a huge addition for them. They got a bunch of veterans coming back, and I I think that will be enough to kind of put them over the top. But it does feel to me right now that you might have 15 to 18 teams that could win a national championship this season. And you've convinced me that Florida Atlantic is one of them, and I'm going to pick them to win a national championship. (laughs) If you lose money, though, just don't blame me, right? I I don't want any ties to any money that people might lose as a result. You got it. Won't blame you, but I will Venmo you. (laughs) Myron, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. I'm Israel Gutierrez. This has been ESPN Daily. I'll talk to you tomorrow.